This was a week of very cautious optimism here in Minnesota. The governor's office confirmed the state's COVID-19 case rate of 17 per 100,000 people as one of the lowest in the country. Both the University of Minnesota and the Mayo Clinic announced progress in developing blood tests that will help identify those people who have recovered from COVID-19 and may have enough antibodies to no longer catch or spread the disease. But this week, Governor Tim Waltz said we cannot rest easy and opted to extend the state's stay-at-home order, which was supposed to end today, until May 4th. And he continues to emphasize two things. First, that social distance remains our only way to slow the pandemic. And second, that without widespread and accurate testing, we are operating blind. What does it actually mean to be operating blind in this pandemic? Why aren't there more tests available? And what is known and unknown about the tests we have? I'm John Finnegan, Dean of the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. In this fourth episode of our series, we want to shed some light on those questions. Today is April 10th, 2020, and this episode is called In Testing Limbo. We all do better when we all do better. That means everywhere. That's the sing-along optimistic style of Jeremy Messersmith, a Minneapolis-based singer and songwriter. So go tell your neighbors and even the strangers, there's so much to share. But last month, Jeremy wasn't doing better. And the one thing he was terrified about sharing with neighbors and strangers was COVID-19. That's because he spiked a fever and had some of the worst flu symptoms of his life. He got a drive-up test for coronavirus, but unfortunately, his was one of about 1,700 tests that had to be put on hold because of a shortage of testing reagents. For two and a half weeks, he was in limbo. He didn't know if he was positive or negative. I would say this is probably the most anxious I've ever been about being sick because I was worried about people that I'd seen in the previous weeks when I was, you know, potentially carrying the, the virus. I would say the not knowing um, did not help with the anxiety. Fortunately, Jeremy turned out to be negative for COVID, but he still feels a bit in limbo. For one, he worries about his test being a false negative. Also, he wonders if he should have one of the new antibody tests. I imagine I'd be very far down the list as I didn't test uh, positive for COVID, but uh, I would very much be into doing. At the very least, it would, you know, perhaps the antibodies in my blood would be, would be helpful to other people. Actually, Jeremy wouldn't qualify for the antibody test. More on that later. But I share his story because it highlights what many of us are wondering about coronavirus testing. How good are the tests? What kind of tests are out there and how do they differ? Why are tests being delayed? And why don't we have more tests? In Minnesota, one of the best people to answer those questions is Dr. Joanne Bartkus. She's the director of the Public Health Laboratory at the Minnesota Department of Health. So there's really two basic types of tests that are are out and being used for, for COVID right now. And they're, they're very different and they have very different purposes. Um, and so the one that was introduced first um, and is the one that actually detects the virus itself, is called a, a polymerase chain reaction test. And that test detects 
the genome, the nucleic acid of the virus itself. So it, if you get a positive PCR test, it means that the virus itself is present. And that can be used to screen people for infectivity. You know, are they infected and might they be shedding virus um, and able to infect other people? That's the test Jeremy had by the most common method used, sticking a swab deep into his nose to where it meets the back of the throat. If you test positive, you most likely have the disease. But if you test negative, then Jeremy's right, there is a chance of a false negative. That is, testing negative when you actually have the virus. One Chinese study of just over 200 patients found a false negative rate as high as 30%. But that study has yet to be validated. And truth be told, there are not enough data yet to know the true false negative rate. There are several things that could contribute to a falsely negative test. First, the virus tends to live deep in the nasopharynx and further down in the lungs. If the swab technique is rushed or not deep enough, it can miss the virus. Second, timing is everything. You could catch someone when their viral load is high or when it's low. If it's the latter, you might miss it. So Jeremy is doing what a lot of folks in his position are doing, or should be doing, and that is staying at home and acting as if he's positive. But let's say he was positive. Then that brings up the second test he was wondering about, the antibody serologic or blood test. Again, Dr. Joanne Bartkus. The other type of test that has recently come onto the market is a serological test. And what that test does is detects antibody to the virus. So your immune response to the, the virus. And that test is not actually a diagnostic test because it doesn't tell you that the virus is actually present. So it can be used to assess whether people have been exposed to the virus at some point in time. Some other important points to remember about the antibody blood test. Currently, it's only being used to measure the immune response of people who've already tested positive. That's why our Minneapolis musician Jeremy wouldn't qualify. But if he did qualify and his immune response was high, what does that mean for COVID? We don't know yet if the immune response that your body makes when it recognizes a virus will protect you against getting a second infection. If it does, is that protection complete and long-lasting or partial and short-lived? Also, when's the ideal time to test for antibodies and just how accurate the test is are both tricky questions and need to be studied further. There are now dozens of these antibody tests in development, and they can only get FDA approval for emergency use. Final and vetted approval would take over a year. And there's no entity that standardizes the test, which would be important to do, to compare results across states or countries as the pandemic progresses. Nonetheless, the public health benefit of an accurate antibody test is undeniable and just as important as knowing who's positive. Dr. Nigel Panath is a professor of epidemiology and pediatrics at Michigan State University. Until testing becomes available that allows us to separate the universe of people into three categories, which is classic in public health, the ones who are immune already, the ones who are infectious, and the great middle who are neither, until we have that, we have just one tool available. And that tool is social distancing because you don't know 
when you go out, whether the person you're talking to might infect you or whether you might infect them. And this is what experts mean when they say we're operating blind. The asymptomatic reservoir is unknown. Uh, we know it's there. Everything about this epidemic suggests that it's there, but we have no handle on it. And uh, if we're ever going to get out of this lockdown, we're going to have to know something better about people's status than we do now. We have to know, have to know who's infectious and who's not. Otherwise, we all have to stay locked down. Locked down and presumed positive or act like you're infectious. It's a new vernacular and new reality for millions of us. And you could argue, and rightfully so, that knowing if you're positive might not change medical decisions about your care. But it does highlight why both of the tests we discussed before, a positive nasal swab to confirm infection and or a positive antibody test to suggest possible immunity, would change your behavior at home and dictate what you could or could not do in public. In other words, testing is the linchpin, both the key to understanding the pandemic and one key to surviving it, both in terms of our health and the economy. That's why this question looms large and vital. Why aren't there more tests available? Again, Dr. Joanne Bartkus from the Minnesota Department of Health. Initially, CDC was limiting testing to what were referred to as persons under investigation, you know, people who had come from parts of the world where the virus was spreading rapidly. What eventually happened is that there was a, a lot of demand for testing. There were comments made that everybody who wants a test can get a test. However, the, the, the supply chain wasn't there. The, the number of tests that we needed wasn't, wasn't available. And then in, in the meantime, a lot of our test manufacturers have their manufacturing sites are outside of the United States. So to get those supplies into the United States, especially if they're coming from, from parts of the world that are heavily infected by coronavirus and they've shut their factories down, we don't have the, the supply chain. The supplies she's mostly referring to are the chemical reagents needed to preserve test samples and extract the viral genetic material. They also include the personal protective equipment, or PPE, needed to safely administer and process the tests. So it's a bit of a double whammy. And one of the main reasons we as a country are still in testing limbo like Jeremy Messersmith. We all do better when we all do better. That means everywhere. So go tell your neighbors and even strangers, there's so much to share. For me, music is a bit of an, it's a pathway into the emotions. And I felt like I wasn't, I kind of had to <laughs> keep that door shut for the, you know, the weeks that I was the weeks that I was sick, so I didn't listen to, to much music. But on the other side of it, and uh, with Bill Withers uh, just passing away, uh, I had really been enjoying the lyrical simplicity and genius of, uh, of Lean On Me. It was just an incredibly uh, wonderful song with a beautiful idea, and I've been listening to that a bunch over the last couple days. Would you indulge me with singing a couple of bars? <laughs> sure. Lean on me when you're not strong, I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm. 
This podcast is a production of the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. For more information on coronavirus, as well as some links we highly recommend, visit our website at sph.umn.edu. You can also subscribe to the Health in All Matters podcast on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review and a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Today is April 10th, 2020. It's Easter weekend, and the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases worldwide is just over 1.6 million. Thanks for listening. Take good care of each other. And remember, we all do better when we all do better. Oh.